Bruce Boudreaux guides the Canucks to a win in his debut behind the bench at Rogers Arena. It's the Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drance. We're live at Rogers Arena. Canucks are going to be back on the ice to practice today in about half an hour time. By the way, Drancer, of course, does fantastic work covering the Canucks at The Athletic. We might get a little sneak preview of some upcoming work that will be posting for The Athletic this week a little later on in the show. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, avenuemachinery.ca. And, of course, 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Get your thoughts in, reactions, comments about what we saw on the ice at Rogers Arena last night because, man, Drancer, what a difference 48 hours makes. That was a slightly different atmosphere at the rink than what we saw on Saturday against the Pittsburgh Penguins, just a little bit. That was a slightly different atmosphere at the rink than anything we've seen in this building since March of 2020. That, like, two years (laughs) since there was anything. Now, granted, fans have only been able to be in the building for, like, three of those months, but, you know, it's been a long time since there was a night out as simple you know, like it felt yes. simple and joyous and uncomplicated and fans were able to support this team and this organization and these players without any sense of conflict. It felt like they were liberated because honestly, Jamie, they were. They were. They were. Like they, they were. were. They, they, you know, it was really nice to see. Honestly, at the end of the day, I have to pinch the cynicism that, that, <laughs> that I so regularly indulge in and just say, you know, it was nice to see. It was a good night for the organization a good night for an organization that hasn't had many good nights you know certainly since september of 2020 and but but really like good nights with their fans in the building it's been an awfully long time that was that was like sweet release it was for this club. it was so needed and uncomplicated is the word that came to mind for me too and just from a fan's perspective right it felt uncomplicated like hey let's just sit down and watch a hockey game yeah. let's watch some hockey and not right. think about is somebody going to throw a jersey on the ice? Not think about, is the general manager going to be fired? Not think about, do the players hate each other? Have they quit on the coach? Let's just have some fun watching a hockey game. Or, or for fans, like there's a lot of fans who've harbored deep doubts or skepticism about this club's direction for a long time to the point where you know they didn't want to see the team win because if the team went on a run, maybe they wouldn't make the yeah. changes that needed to happen and on and on. I mean, you know, it was a confusing and constant battle. Or for like for the soul of this team and over this team's should be direction, and and that I think really reached a fever pitch over the last eleven months, right? As much as people want to say, oh, it's about the you know they changed the coach and look, you know, right? I, I think the bigger weight that's lifted is not like the team freed from the yoke of Travis Green. I think the bigger weight that's lifted is that for basically eleven months now, like since January of twenty twenty one. Everyone in this market has talked about, asked the players about, discussed, like at great length pontificated on the possibility or the chance that there would be significant change. Like, where would the shoe drop because this organization's in a, in a spiral? And that has its own sense of gravity, its own sort of weight to it that I think, you know, grew and grew and then became omnipresent and then completely engulfed this season and this team. And everything was about 
issues in the room and, you know, effort level at practice and confusion at practice and communication and why are players leaving and, you know, why did Alex Edler leave and why did Nate Schmidt leave and, you know, buyouts and mistakes and it all just became like the hockey didn't matter anymore. No. The hockey was a sideshow itself and player performance was, you know, also sort of besides the point was, you know, something to be looked at and just sort of broken down for, for fun from the perspective of what, you know, how far away this team was. It was like all of that was gone. Like the changes had happened. The guillotine had fallen. Yes. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, oh, right. There's some fun players on this team. And hey, this team can attack and be like entertaining. And, you know, there are probably are some flaws here, but look, they can score and there's some talent and Demko's incredible. And Look at look at Elias Pettersson. He's flying out there. I mean, it just it was so needed. It was such a relief. It was you know what it was? It was an exhalation. It was like everyone in this building just had a moment to be like, ah, yeah. And and you know what? We wake up today and sure, there's names in the GM pool. There's you know still like we still haven't turned a page to a new era. We're kind of in this on this yes. bridge as it were between them. But you know, like Friedman goes on Merrick today. And there's no sort of dark whispers about what's coming. There's no palace intrigue today. All of a sudden, it's like, this team has a clean slate. They're about to step on the ice for practice, and it's like, what can they do? What can they do now? You know, can they win again? Can they continue to play exciting hockey? All of a sudden, the focus is on the team, on performance, on the simplicity of a bunch of guys playing a sport we love to watch. That's where it should be. And it's amazing that it took the organization this long to get here. Last night was the best advertisement for why the moves had to happen, right? Because you had the, the organization always had the ability to turn the page like that, and they finally did it, and it paid immediate dividends, not just in the result, but in the experience, and as you said, the, the kind of cathartic experience cathartic, that it was yeah, exactly. for fans at Rogers Arena. And the interesting thing is, as you said, we haven't turned the page to a new era yet. Yes, it's the Bruce Boudreaux era, but we're still waiting to see what the front office will look like. We'll get into that discussion about some potential candidates later in the show. We're waiting to see who's going to be in charge, what direction they're going to take the team. So those big-picture questions about what the future holds for this franchise, those haven't gone away. But at least you could kind of hit pause on them last night, and the fans could kind of hit pause on them. And, you know, we've talked a lot, Drancer, about how the goal – should be very high for this team, right? It should be to win a Stanley Cup. That's absolutely true. But this is also an entertainment product. Like, like, fundamentally, you want your fans to have fun interacting with the team. You want your fans to have fun watching the team, to have fun coming to the games. And, man, it hadn't felt that fun in an awful long time. And, again, that's that's just a – it's such a basic thing, right? Make a yep. product that our fans are going to enjoy spending time with, right? Make a product that our fans are going to enjoy watching – you know, while they're having a beer with their buddy in their living room. It's so basic, but it's so important. And last night was, you know, it's just one step. There's a ton of things they have to do to continue that. But it was a really, really important step. And we're getting flooded with text messages along those uh, lines as well. Adam, the former bath guy, says, In Bruce we trust. Pablo from Montreal says, the standing ovation genuinely got me emotional last night. Felt like a weight off the fans and organization. Gave me hope for the future for the first time in forever. And that's a good point at the end, right? This organization has tried to sell hope a lot over the last eight years. Obviously, that wasn't selling anymore with the previous regime in place. Right. And again, it, we're in a temporary spot right now where it's easy to sell hope, but 
Who, who knows how long that'll last, but at least it's selling right now. It's better than it was a couple of weeks ago. You said something so important to me, right? For all the talk about how overwhelming this market can be, yeah, how, how suffocating it can be um, for players, right? Claustrophobic. How, how the pressure, you know, mounts, uh, sabotages the team, if you want to be really histrionic about it. The fact is, is that this market is willing to buy hope. And is happy to buy it. Like, yeah. It actually doesn't take a ton. You know what really helped yesterday is the club went out and they, and they honestly, they patted themselves on the chest a couple times and said, our bad, right? I mean, for all that there's been this fight, this, you know, give and take between the team and, and the media and then, out, you know, outsiders or agents or whomever commenting on it, Stan Smeal went up there and, and echoed sentiments that he delivered earlier that day in the locker room on Monday and said, we are all pointing fingers at each other and pulling in the opposite direction. He criticized the character and the, and the like, you know, culture of this organization openly. He owned it. He owned it. And Francesco Aquilini owned the timeline, the preposterous timeline. Did I wait too long to make the change? You know, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, maybe. I mean, it's good. That's good. I'll take it. That's pro- that's progress. <laughs> it's something. Yes. So you know, I think that was a big part of it. Like, you want to sell hope, level with people, level with people, and then go execute what you said you'd you'd do. So this organization came out yesterday. They said, look, we we needed a fresh start in both areas. We've got a new coach. We want to see everyone pull together here as we evaluate, and we're gonna go hire a GM. And then they went out and they played a simple, joyous game of hockey. Yeah. And and. You know, the city responded to that, and the city's still responding to it this morning. And now do it again. Go get... String it together. Go get... Yeah, don't go do it again. Not just on the ice either, but go go get a top candidate. Go get some credible organizational leadership. Like, clearly you've got something in Stan Smeal in terms of leadership. You know, I, don't, I suspect that he's not really interested in permanently taking over. That's the, the people close to him seem to think that that would be... Um, you know, not what what yeah. he's ever wanted, but you know, clearly there's something there. Like that's a guy who should be empowered, regardless of what the next organization looks like. He showed real leadership yesterday. Like there is a lot of decent things going on in Vancouver. Like there are smart people internally. Ryan Johnson's an incredibly bright young yeah. executive. He will be a GM in this league someday, somewhere, whether it's here or elsewhere. Uh, Henrik and Daniel Sedin, sky's the limit with their emotional intelligence and their hockey knowledge. Like, Chris Gear's gotten good outcomes on a variety of contracts, even as the club has occasionally prioritized signing the wrong types of players and strategically tying themselves in knots. You know, this team, like, a lot of people wanted to hear Francesco asked about analytics specifically, but honestly, like, this organization, you know, could they use a bigger R&D budget and more bodies? Sure, but they're actually pretty well integrated, in amateur scouting, in pro scouting, on the coaching side, um, you know, a department run by J- Jonathan Wall, who also manages like the day-to-day cap management that this team does, not the cap allocation, separate concept, right? Yes, is actually really good, like top end, especially through the pandemic. So I mean, there are good pieces here to marshal and work with. You know, it's not all bad. It's just that this club does need that high-end executive direction. That's next for this team, but. It did feel like they, they promised, they did what they promised, you know what I mean? They took yep. some accountability, they leveled with fans, they also sort of obfuscated with fans, but for the most part, they took some accountability for where this season has gone, began to chart a new direction, and look at the response. 
Like, that's all this market wants. Keep your promises, level with this market, and the reaction you will get is so different from what it's been as this club, you know, slowly drove an 18-wheeler off a cliff over the course of many of the past eight years. Yeah, and that's the thing. You can sell hope in this market to this fan base. It just has to be real, right? There has to be a tangible basis to believe in that hope. It can't be smoke and mirrors. And again, they've got to follow through on a bunch of different steps and who they hire to head up their hockey operations department will play a big, big role in that. But it is possible, and this text came in that uh, unsigned says, look what happens when you play a fun game. This market is a sleeping giant that wants to be woken up. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, has there been some apathy? Has there been some lack of interest? Of course there has, given the product on the ice, but that's not going to last if there's a real product for fans to get invested in. We've seen how this city reacts when they have a really good hockey team to cheer for. I think a sleeping giant as a market is a great way to put it. Before we dig into the presser a little bit more, Drancer, I do want to focus on the game uh, just for a few more minutes. And we had you know, this text come in from East Coast Cole who says, I was just excited to see EP40 look excited about hockey, not hockey last night. First game in a while where Hughes wasn't the only guy I could see out there, I could notice out there. And you know, we talked about the sense of relief, the sense of joy and fun and simpleness from the fans watching. And I thought a lot of that was reflected in the players' performance as well. And, you know, it's it's incredible the difference that kind of a funky goal going in off Drew Doughty's toe that he extends and <laughs> expertly, right. expertly deflects past his own goalie. Like, incredible what a bounce will do. But I thought that sense of palpable relief really showed through from the players as well last night. Oh, no question. And, I mean, look, they've been asked about it every day. Like, you know, we... Think about think about Bo Horvat having to discuss like wanting to win here. <laughs> yeah. It's become an every two weeks event for him. Like that's miserable. What a miserable sort of player experience that is. Yeah, it felt like it was different. It finally felt like it was different. It finally felt like change had come. There was no more suspense. And and you know, it's it's like um it's like going down a roller coaster. You know, it's like it's like it's actually fun once you do it. But the the slow click, click, click climb up that first hill, you know, is designed to be terrifying, is designed to up the suspense. The anticipation is actually far scarier than the actual drop. Like, that's the point of drama. That's the point of rides. Like That's the point of life. And this club spent 11 months wincing. Yeah. Like 11 months bracing for the move. And then when it came. You know, it, was, it, it made sense. They, it was immediately like, ah. They took 11 months, like, psyching themselves up to get into the cold pool. You know what I mean? We're like, oh, but it's going to be so cold. And then yeah. you just run and you jump in. And you're like, oh, actually, that's not so bad. <laughs> totally. I'm having fun in the pool now. This is great. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting really used to it quickly. <laughs> yeah, I should have done this a long time ago and had some fun in here. <laughs> but but really, it's not even getting into the cold pool. It's that one line. Yes. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, it's I that know. one line when you're getting into cold water that's <laughs> like, oh, boy. <laughs> that's the one that causes but problems. But you're right. The moment you're in, it's great. It, that's such a good analogy. Exactly. And and the team just had to take that plunge. They yeah. just had to take that plunge. Once they did, the whole atmosphere was different. Now, look, not everything's fixed. This team is still limited. Oh, absolutely. And that's a major part of it. And, look, I know, you know, <laughs> we're going to get this question in. And it's a fair question, right? And I understand why. Because a new coach takes over, and specifically a coach with Bruce Boudreaux's resume, his reputation as an offensive guy. And everyone wants to know, okay, what did we learn? What did we learn on the ice, hardcore X's and O's, the nitty-gritty about 
how Bruce Boudreau wants the Canucks to play, but what this team will look like under Bruce Boudreau. And, hey, it's one game he had one morning skate and, and some you know off-ice sessions to try to teach his team a few things. So I think realistically what we can say we learned is pretty limited, but were there any major takeaways for you from that? I, I want to get back to it, but we've got some really good analogies coming in. Let's do I it. just got to read them. Uh, last night was like your first day at a new job after a long, terrible eight years at your previous job. <laughs> Refreshing. <laughs> Very relatable, but yeah. not, not, not for this job. I love this. Um, the, the last few months has been like the lead up to Christmas with my in-laws. Then it's over and life is good again. <laughs> Dan, I'll be I'll be praying for you over the course of the yep. next three weeks. The other, if I can uh, indulge myself in one more analogy here, Let's the go. other thing. Okay, so specifically with regards to Boudreaux, and I want to talk about the, the Bruce Boudreaux honeymoon a little bit as well yeah. because everyone's loving life, right? He's having fun with the media and, you know, the fans totally. are chanting, Bruce, there it is. That was awesome to yeah. see. But it kind of reminds me of if you've ever had a buddy or a friend who's been in a bad long-term relationship, right? And then they get out of it, and they meet someone new, and they're so excited that they've met this new person. And, like, two weeks in, they're like, I think we're going to go on a trip together. And it's just like, whoa, 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 <laughs> slow down a little bit. Just get to know them a little bit before you book that yeah. vacation house. You Vancouver, know what I mean? Vancouver fans are 100% sitting on a bench with Bruce Boudreaux right now, like, sharing a gallon of Haagen-Dazs. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, an eight-year boil has been lanced in Vancouver is another go. text in. Disgusting, but super, super fair. Um yeah, so sorry, to the game yesterday. Yeah. I didn't think the changes were – I think there's going to be a lot made about, like, the super aggressive forecheck. Yeah. It was different, but it wasn't hugely different. It will be more different as the team implements um, the system in full. Um, I thought, I thought you know, you play that aggressively, you're going to give up some against-the-grain chances. The Canucks did. Demko yep. cleaned them up. Um, the Kings aren't the type of fast team that really worries me for punishing – that's going to kill you on the counterattack necessarily. Kill yep. you on the counter, uh, especially with their finishing. Like even even their best players, like other than Arvidsson, aren't really against the grain guys. You know, like their most yes. dangerous offensive players are more in zone threats. So, um, you know, uh, we'll see. We'll see how that works over the long haul, and if the Canucks have the defense to uh, ultimately cover for that. I'll tell you where I what I suspect. It, no, 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 they don't. But uh, but you know, at least it'll be fun to watch. Um, the PK was the biggest difference. Eight guys got power penalty killing ice time. The thing I like about that with a new coaching staff in is it's like this is no longer on four guys. Yeah. Like, let's all pitch in here. Let's all solve this together. We're all going to wear this. We're all going to wear this. Like, yeah. this is on us all now. I liked that there's like a sim symbolism there. There's a, there's a certain je ne sais quoi that I like from a team spirit perspective. Um, obviously, it was more aggressive. Uh, Boudreaux admitted that he thought they caught the Kings unaware. So we'll probably see, fair. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how that evolves as they do it more and as they get scouted for it and as power plays aren't you know jumped effectively by a, a you know newly introduced system. But I like that. That was different. Fourth line played more, more than anything else. Like the young guys played a lot early, mm -hmm. and then with the lead late, the fourth line played a lot. So we'll see if that's a trend or if it was because it was a blowout, but. You know, certainly there was no guys at five minutes, which has been a relatively frequent occurrence under Green. Uh, we also saw, you know, Pod Colson and Hoaglander play a ton when the game was tied, uh, more than they have under Green, where they've really been, you know, supporting pieces. They were top line pieces. Like Pod Colson played power play one and first line minutes to the point where Harmon Dial, sitting beside me, my athletic colleague, said, "Do you think he thinks he's Ovechkin?" 
He's like he, he, he doesn't know anything about him. He like looks at the it looks at the statute. He's like he's Russian. He's God's a Russian guy. Pick. It worked for me in Washington. You know, like does he think he's Ovi? Um, so I uh, I had a good chuckle at that theory from my colleague. But um, but yeah, I mean those were the big differences. And look, they're modest differences for now, right? Alex Jason still net front. Pearson and Horvat still, still together. together. Um, the guys you'd expect to lead the Canucks in ice time led the Canucks in ice time. Tucker Pullman played a little bit more than he has in recent games. Like, you know, whatever, minor tweaks. I, I didn't I didn't see a sea change in systems. I didn't see a sea change in emphasis. What I saw was a sea change in vibe, and, and that makes sense to me. Like, really, if anything was completely and fundamentally different about this team, last, last night it was the vibes around it and the fact that as much as it was a relief for fans in this building, it looked like a relief for the players too. It was one of their better offensive efforts five-on-five. Of the season yesterday, I thought, but again, as you say, I think a lot of that was just due to, hey, we're playing with, we're playing with, we don't have this weight bearing down on us, bearing down on our shoulders anymore. We're playing loose, we're having fun out there. It had more to do with that than any systems or tactical changes from Boudreaux. The PK is the interesting one, and I do, you know, we have this text come in. Uh, I know things had changed. I knew things had changed last night. Well, at the game when he threw Petey and Pod Colson out on the penalty kill, why not try everything? with a historically bad penalty kill. That's from Finn. And, and that's that, a point we've been making. Mm-hmm. And that got a lot of attention, right? Pedersen and Pod Colson. I do want to pump the brakes a little bit. Pedersen played 39 seconds. Okay, that's a good first start. You know, Pod Colson yeah, played 16. He drew, he drew a penalty 16 shot. 16 seconds. He drew a penalty shot, yeah. yeah. Pod Colson was out there for 16 seconds. I actually thought the more interesting thing was that Horvat was clearly the first choice guy. Yep. And he's got minutes this year, but he's never been the first choice well, guy under Green. My guess is he is the yes. guy who asked. That would be my guess as well. Uh, that would be my guess. I don't know that, and I want to be clear that I don't know that. I will work to confirm it after practice as the Canucks slowly step out on the ice. I'm still not used to these green jerseys, by the way. This is going to take me a while. I'm so used to, like, top six blue, you know, to bottom six white. And you see me doing it with my binoculars in the booth. Like, I'm so obsessive about taking attendance, Randall Weems style. And uh, and, and so, yeah, I'm going to take a while to get used to that. But, yeah, no, I think it was Horvat. And, and look, he should want to kill penalties. He should. It's, you know, look, he hasn't killed penalties, and that was not a mistake by the coaching staff. The results he haven't been, been there in good. the past. Yeah. He hasn't been good at it. And, and Boudreaux said that, you know, if it works, sure, you can keep doing it. So, look. Horvat, challenge yourself, right? Figure this part of the game out. You figured so many other parts of the game out, including your stride. Like, I remember I used to watch Horvat in Major Junior. I saw Horvat play a ton when he was a London Knights player. And I was like, this guy's going to need, this guy's, you know, doesn't have top-end NHL wheels. And two years later, he had, he did. Yeah. He was like a rush scorer. He's like a bull rush. He scores like a, scores like a power winger most of the time. Like, his most dangerous sequences are when he's on the rush, attacking with speed and, and his size. Um, you know, it's incredible. He, he, even, he even figured out his stride. And for some reason, four on five has eluded him in terms of mastering the art of being effective in that spot. Challenge yourself. Like, that would be a huge difference maker for this Canucks team if Horvat could be even just a league average PKC. That would be a huge, huge development. So, But it's on him to do it. It's on him to do it. Bruce Boudreaux, assuming it was Horvat that asked, but whoever it was that asked, Bruce Boudreaux put the onus on them to perform in that role. To this point in his career, Horvat hasn't. We'll see if that changes now with a more aggressive system. Yeah, and that to me, beyond just the particulars of who's getting the penalty kill time, 
it illustrates the biggest benefit of making a coaching change just for the rest of this season, which is not that the team's going to perform better and charge up the standings. And we have people texting in saying, whoa, you know, if it wasn't for Demko, that game would have been going to overtime. This is just a new coach bump. No, that's incorrect. Yeah, no, they outplayed the Kings pretty handily. But, but, but by a lot. But the new coach bump thing, that's fair. Yeah, that that's absolutely a phenomenon that exists in the NHL. He and knows it, by the way. He knows it. He, yeah. he has, post-game, he was like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the guys were trying to impress me. Alex Edler said the same thing. He was like, yeah, they were had energy. I'm sure they wanted to make a good first yeah. impression. No one's pretending this is going to be Everyone you know, wants ice time. a prelude to the, the Canucks playing like a, a first-place team all of a sudden. But, again, as I was saying with the penalty kill, more than just, oh, player X got some minutes, it's, hey, Boudreaux has the freedom and the ability and the rope to try some things out down the stretch. Let's figure some things out. Let's learn. Let's get some information about these players that we can use going forward. That's the biggest thing. Well, let's come back to this on the other side of the break because I want to note one thing about Boudreaux is he is not – beholden to anybody in the cl- in the organization there is and, and let's get into that on the other yep. side because it is actually a very unique situation one that probably this organization hasn't even seen in I, 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 maybe maybe my lifetime like maybe since mark crawford replaced keenan in midseason um you know honestly it's like that long it's been 25 years since the coach was this independent from any sort of ties to a player he vouched for, to a manager, anything. It is a completely blank slate. Let's let's get into that on the other side. We will get into that into that more. We will continue to read your texts, which are pouring in 650, 650s, the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, and maybe look ahead to who some potential front office candidates could be for the Canucks as well. You are listening to the Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. It's the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd and Canucks insider Thomas Drance live at Rogers Arena as the Canucks are underway at practice on day two of the Bruce Boudreaux era. We'll get you any notes, tidbits, information from practice as it happens. They're really just getting going here on the ice at Rogers Arena. Text in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders, avenuemachinery.ca. And, Dranzer, we were talking just before the break about, you know, the penalty kill deployment really being the most notable difference that we saw from the Canucks with Boudreaux behind the bench for his first game last night. And what I was saying is I don't even really care who was getting the minutes specifically. It's nice to see Pedersen. I think that's an interesting idea. It's nice to see Bo Horvat get a lot of minutes there. But to me, it's more just about, hey, Boudreaux can try a lot of different things. He can try to get some information and get some answers that maybe Travis Green wasn't going to be able to try for the rest of this season. Well, and, you know, there's so much that goes into making roster decisions. And to some extent, you know, when when a coach helps you know, not build a team. That's probably a little too much. That's probably a little too much spin on the ball. But consults on players, right? Or knows a guy, right? Or wanted a guy. Or said, we need a right-handed guy. Like, go find a guy and like, oh, I'm a Pullman. Or showed his displeasure of a player by dropping his minutes. And then that player leaves the organization. Totally, right. Yeah. Like, there are there are built-in things, um, you know, preconceived notions that, that a coach has, particularly when they come in. And you know what? Here's another one. Um, your GM signs a guy for a lot of money, so you got to play him because you're the coach. Yeah. Right. Now Bruce Boudreaux wasn't hired by a GM. 
<laughs> There's no one that Bruce Boudreaux's beholden to. There's not a single player on this roster that he advocated for or that he really knows aside from Brad Hunt. There is, it is a blank tab, tabula rasa for Bruce Boudreaux in terms of evaluating this roster and these players, and that's a really unique situation. Like That very rarely happens where you've got a coach with literally zero skin in the game, zero preconceived notions about who should play where or why. And, you know, it's going to be fascinating to watch him tinker and figure out where guys fit. And, and yeah, evaluate, too. Um, you know, Dickinson, for example, going up to the Miller-Besser line. I mean, this club needs to get something out of Jason Dickinson. They need yes. to. He's, got, he's signed to a big contract. Um, he hasn't been good through his first 25 games, although his defensive results have been way better than, than people realize. It's just that the penalty kill has been so bad. Right. He was supposed to be the face of that, so... You know, he sort of gets tarred with that despite so solid five-on-five -five results. He's now playing a top-six role. And and look, seeing what how that works makes sense. The other thing to note there, right, Dickinson does have a pre-existing relationship with Scott Walker because he was the face of those high-octane Guelph Storm teams that Walker coached in the mid-teens last decade. So, that I mean, there is a little bit there. But but for Bruce, there's nothing. And, and I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch him figure that out but uh, but I also think already off the bat you're seeing some pretty interesting ideas in in terms of things and and I suspect we'll see far greater changes like yeah. a much larger degree of changes too as he you know gets his feet wet a little bit like as he gets more and more used to this group and and where their limitations are when they stop putting in performances like the sterling one they put in on rogers yes. arena ice on monday night uh it's going to be also fascinating well first of all you know coaches nhl coaches always say you know hey this is a meritocracy everyone earns their ice time but it's never truly like that right there's all of those other factors behind the scenes that that obviously do play a factor in you know filling out your roster constructing your lineup on a night-to-night -night basis and you know, as you pointed out, Boudreaux just doesn't have those same kind of obstacles in his way to making changes. He, if if he moves somebody off the penalty kill or off the power play, he's not admitting, you know, a years-long mistake, right? He's not saying, you know what, I was really committed to that for years, but it wasn't working out. And that, that can be hard to do. He doesn't have to do that. He can just say, hey, I'm just learning. I'm just figuring out who these guys are and what they can do, and that's why I'm trying things. And it gives him so much more flexibility to do all of that, which I think is hugely important for the balance of this season. I do want to talk a little bit, Drancer, about the different press conferences that we saw from this organization yesterday. And obviously most notable, it was the owner, Francesco Aquilini, speaking in tandem with Stan, Stan Smeal, who's, of course, a long, long time fixture in this organization and is now the interim general manager. And obviously Smeal was kind of the breakout star from that press conference just because of his passion, his authenticity, his honesty. I thought it was really fascinating when he said, you know, I felt I needed to step up and, and try to take action after the game on Saturday. Yeah, although were you did you hear the clarification? Like when they stopped the presser, I, I like held them. I was yes. like, guys, guys, clarify. I need to clarify this. Like, Stan, did you not decide to take on this role until Saturday night? Yeah. And he was like, no, 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 no. That's not what it meant. It's like, well, that sounded what you meant. Yeah, it did sound like what you meant. So I, I'm not sure, but I mean... You know, it's a nice story. Yeah. If the if the reason that the changes ultimately get made sat Sunday is in part because Stan Smeal finally says, hey, look, if you need someone to be the interim GM, I'll do it, because he was so furious uh, at the jersey getting thrown yeah. on the ice and the faraway stares that the team had as they got booed off the ice on Saturday night. Like, that would be a great story, but 
you know, put put Tim like, hey, look, clarify this statement because it seems loaded. He said, no, not, and that's not quite what it was. So I'm, we'll, we'll have to do some more digging on yes, that. Yes, we'll have we, to get some more clarity. Because you're it, right, it's a great story. It's a great story. And, and I wonder quote. if there's something similar that happened, but maybe on a different timeline, if it was earlier, if he, you know, it was um, maybe over the course of the last few weeks or month, he had started to voice his displeasure a little bit more than he would have otherwise. But either way, Stan Smeal, you know, got a lot of attention, got a lot of attention, I think earned – you know, even more respect than he already had from Canucks fans with his performance yesterday. What were your big takeaways from what Francesco Aquilini had to say? And obviously something that a lot of people wanted to hear was his thoughts on the idea that he's been too involved as an owner. And, you know, he he kind of the, the answers to that were kind of muddled, I thought, right? You pressed him on the process of hiring Boudreaux, and that was very much as – as we understand it now, an owner-led process, which is pretty unique. What else did you uh, have to take away from what Aquilini said yesterday? I, from what Aquilini said, I mean, I thought it was a gentle fiction. Um, <laughs> you know, the idea that Smeal recommended Boudreaux initially. <laughs> um, yeah. the, you know, look, Francesco Aquilini, I thought, performed pretty well. I thought he came across as well-spoken. I thought he was... I thought he showed some humility and direct accountability, which, you know, I think needed to happen. Um, and, and look, I think the fact that he did it matters. Like, he did it. He hasn't done it in years. It mattered. He needed to answer for what's been one of the worst eras in the history of this franchise. And, and one that was characterized by a greater degree of ownership involvement and mass layoffs and slash budgets Right, like to an extent that this organization hasn't endured, and certainly in the Aquilini era, but really in 30 years at least. So, you know, I think it was important that an ownership voice spoke to what's transpired, especially over the last 15 months. You know, probably the worst 15 months in the history of the franchise, to be totally honest. When you when you go from the highs of the bubble, and all of the mistakes that have happened since, and the COVID outbreaks, and I mean, you you know. It's been the worst year. It's up there. It, yeah. I, it's hard to think of a worse 15-month yeah. stretch in franchise history. And so I think that needed to be spoken to by, so, by, by the guy who owns the team, by the absolute top of the pyramid. And so credit to him. He did it, and I thought he showed well um, for the most part. You know, I, I, thought there were, I thought there were some things that were said, um, you know, that are baffling, that remain baffling. You know, like, I, I think the idea that this was such a surprise, you know, that poses some really difficult questions about who ownership gets their information from. Like, who are you trusting in terms of hockey voices that told you that this is a surprise? Yeah. That this isn't a realistic, like, the the Athletic has Dom decisions, super objective, go, um, goals... Oh my goodness. Game score value added metric, GSVA, and it projects results and it outperforms the betting markets year after year. According to GSVA, going into the season, the Canucks had a 57% chance of finishing sixth or worst in the Pacific Division. Yeah. 57%. That's not a surprise. That's a likelihood. A likelihood. Like, that That to me was baffling. You know, the, the idea that... You know, the idea that Stan Smeal had recommended the Boudreaux hire uh, was a gentle fiction. Um, you know, I, I do still think, too, like the best possible call 
in my view, would have been to roll out a, a lengthier plan and a lengthier yes. set of criteria for what the club was looking for in a, in a hockey ops leader. I think it would have been helpful to have a little bit more clarity on that. And, and look, he was asked directly about recruiting a third-party search firm to help uh, recruit that general manager. I think if they'd been proactive and come out and announced, in fact, that the search would be done with a degree of insulation from ownership, that would have been a smart, proactive move. Like, at the end of the day, if you hire a guy like Mike Ford, right, who works for Sportsology and worked for the Devils in the past, you don't even have to take their recommendation. No, you still get to make the decision. <laughs> you know? It, Mike Ford doesn't then get to hire the guy for you. <laughs> no. He just sends he's, you some names. He's certainly not paying for them. Yeah. So it makes sense to me. Like, it would have been a nice show and a proactive show of – you know, self-awareness, right? Like, we know that we need to be a little more removed from hockey operations, including in this decision, and so we've done this. I thought that would have been a nice way to go about it, to to begin to restore some confidence and, again, show some self-awareness about how much the club struggles have also dented consumer confidence in ownership's ability to lead this team to where it should be, organizationally speaking. So, look, complicated answer. I know I haven't exactly, like hit like bullet points and, and been really cogent in terms of summarizing it. But I thought overall strong with some moments that still made me feel like it was a dispatch from an alternate reality. <laughs> so that, and that was sort of my basic takeaway. Well, and you have to remember we are dealing with relatively low expectations because it just happens so infrequently. Right. So I did think overall it was a pretty decent showing. I agree with you. The thing I wanted more on was what are their goals for the new front office, right? Because it's fine to say everything is on the table, and in some respects, that's encouraging, right? Hey, could, might you bring in a president? Yes, everything's on the table. Could you look to a name that you've worked with in the past? Yes, everything's on the table. That's all well and good, but he also left the door open, for example, to only having a general manager and not bringing in a president on top of that. So I would have liked just a little more clarity on this is what we're looking for. I still believe a president and a GM is the way to go. What are you looking for? What's the goal? And also, what's the timeline? When do you want it done? When do you anticipate it being done? When do you think it has to be done? Because I think that matters going into the trade deadline season in the new year as well. So I would have liked a little bit more clarity on that. But yeah, overall, it was pretty good. And then, as I said, with Stan Smeal, with Bruce Boudreau uh, speaking to the media after that, and then the game, and then Boudreau speaking to the media after the game, which I thought was just hilarious. One of the funniest press conferences I can recall. I particularly love the moment from Boudreaux where he was trying to recall the player for the Canucks who had scored their first goal of the season and he couldn't remember it and he asked the media and it was almost like a call and response. It was like, hey, who was that guy? And the media was like, Lamico. He's like, oh, right, it was Lammy. It was just it, the Bruce Boudreaux <laughs> honeymoon effect is in full swing here full in Vancouver. Swing. It's going to be interesting to see how long it lasts. I but don't it, even know who was on the ice last night. Yeah, He literally said that. He was like, oh, it was so hard to keep up. Luckily I had help. And everyone's like, oh, Bruce. Let, let me just tell you, when, yeah. Let me just tell you when things get more complicated yes. than that, right? Yeah. When the team's performance gets more uneven, uh, those answers start to take on a very different veneer. Yeah. But look, the, the honeymoon won't last forever. But buddy. you know what? You know what? Bruce Bruce's job right now is to come in and be a breath of fresh air. Hard to say he didn't ace that test on Monday. And as we talked about uh, with the, you know, what the GM or what the front office executive search is going to look like. I mean, we're, we are constantly bombarded with questions about different candidates, right? 
Chris McFarland, Mike Gillis, Lawrence Gilman, just another one from Ken from North Van saying, just a thought, Stan Smeal for president. We addressed that a little earlier in the show. Sonny says, where does John Shika fall in line for, for the GM position? We get just bombarded with potential names. People want to have an idea. The word from insiders so far has been, man, they're in on everyone and everything. They're making calls. They're trying to figure out who's available, who's interested, who might be available at a later date. Drancer, are you any closer to kind of narrowing down both one who might be on their list and secondly, who should be on their list of candidates for these jobs? Well, I've got a better sense of who should. <laughs> no, um, I think they're going to talk to a lot of people. I think they're going to do a big search here and they should. Um, I think also that, you know, we're going to hear a ton of names over the course of the next few months. We're going to see a ton of people self-promoting, right? Like the, the, the thing about a search and I've managed one from the inside is a lot of people who are candidates, make sure that it gets out. Yes, but they are candidates. It's nice to be seen to interview. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting process to watch unfold in terms of candidates that they should be looking at you know if you're looking for a president of hockey ops someone with a ton of experience and a ton of weight who also matches all the qualifications that i like to go off on you know in terms of being a business leader and you know having the requisite education and being a contemporary business leader capable of steering a really complicated billion dollar organization in a hard cap league you know i mean it's it's a big ask i don't think there's a ton of names out there that honestly match the description, you know, aside from, and, and I think that's why the Mike Gillis name keeps, people keep coming back to it. Yep. Right? I, I think that's why people keep coming back to it. It's hard to find qualified presidential candidates. If you're looking at GMs, I think there's a lot of smart people around the industry that, you know, would be worth considering. Everyone from, you know, Eustace King, Kevin Weeks. I think about people like, you know, Lawrence Gilman's obviously a name locally that, that people understand who, who sort of, is associated with an era of responsible team governance. Um, you know, he's clearly had success in Toronto. Um, Chris McFarland's a very popular name, and he should be. He's, you know, one of the brains of that avalanche rebuild that is honestly incredible. Like, that team's going to be good for another four or five years, and they have a two- or three-year cap window yep. or cup window remaining. They're fun to watch. High pedigree. They've made some really daring trades. There's like bold scoring moves. goals for fun at the moment right now. They built a blue line that is insane. Yes. Like insane. The Canucks, I mean, <laughs> the Canucks probably have one player that dresses for that blue line on a night-to-night basis, right? I mean, that's truly how good they are. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a ton of good candidates. We're, we're going to publish a list at The Athletic tomorrow. Uh, we, it's 22 names long. <laughs> we got a lot of candidates. <laughs> and so – you know, you can understand why the organization should be taking their time and doing their diligence and identifying the right person. And, you know, I also think you, you you don't have all the time in the world. You can take your time, but you also have to get it done. And I think you should be looking at an end of January sort of timeline. Yeah. If you get it done by the end of January, you have all of February and all of March before the trade deadline. Like, that should be enough time for a new GM to come in, meet everybody, talk to everybody, and begin to chart a course for what this club should do at the deadline because I do think there's a ton of very difficult and very important decisions coming up that this organization will need to make if they're going to maximize asset value across the board you know, before March 21st. Yeah, the idea of waiting to see who's available after the season, right? Like who might you know, be out of contract, who might get fired, who might be looking for greener pastures after this season – 
that's fine in theory, but I just have such a hard time seeing how that makes sense, as you said, with the major decisions looming ahead, or that at least should be considered and be seriously discussed ahead of the trade deadline. Uh, one text came in unsigned. Are they waiting for Mark Bergevin to catch his breath? And I, I did think that was an interesting nugget from Francesco Aquilini yesterday where <laughs> he was specifically asked about Bergevin. And, and, and he said, but he said, I know Mark. Yes. I know him. <laughs> My good buddy Mark Bergevin. Yeah. <laughs> Name dropping like a pro. But he also said he thinks Bergevin is trying to catch his breath right yep. now, which makes sense from an outsider's perspective. And for me, I don't think Bergevin would be a good fit here based on his track record on a number of different issues in Montreal. So if you're like me, I think that was a positive in, including thing Including his team performance? Yes. Like, you know, Mark, Mark Bergevin shouldn't be uh, the general manager or the president of hockey operations for a ton of reasons, um, without question. I mean, I, I think that would be a deeply uninspiring choice. Yeah, and I agree. And it sounded not that the door was necessarily closed, but it didn't sound, based on the answer that Francesco Aquilini gave yesterday, it didn't sound like a realistic option to me at this yeah. point. Anyways, Well, which... it didn't sound like a top line, but I do think there's interest there. Like, I do think that they regard his work highly, and there's a ton of, you know, things, uh, particularly playoff performance and, and philosophy in terms of just getting in and winning that seem to align with what this organization has historically valued. So, you know, I'm not I'm not counting that out as a, as a possibility. I do, however, think it would make very little sense considering his performance and the sensibilities of this marketplace. The names continue to pour in. Sean says, can Luongo be the GM and still be captain of the team again? Uh, Pavel Bure <laughs> for GM has been suggested. Bure's not happening. Uh, Luongo's not happening either. Harmon Dial for GM from Dan in Fort St. John, who says he's kidding, brackets sort of. <laughs> Unsigned wasn't Marcus Nasland on the list a while back for Mar possible Marcus, GM. Marcus is not going to do a hockey operations job. He's very happy running his uh, restaurant uh, with Peter Forsberg over in Ovik. Um, you know, Luongo's not leaving Florida for yeah. Vancouver. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if the Montreal job would interest him down the line. I don't think he would take it now. That's my sense of it. I, I haven't. That's not reporting anything that I've talked to him directly about. That's just my sense of it. Um, in terms of Bure, yeah, I mean, <laughs> harder to get Bure out no. of Russia than it is to get Luongo out of Florida, and it's hard to get Luongo out of Florida. So, and this is what happens in this moment, right? When yeah, the, the world is it. full of possibilities. Let's it's like, it. hey, let's... beloved, beloved Canucks from years past. <laughs> let's go. Let's get them in. Let's get the band back together. Get Burroughs on the bench with Boudreaux. Get BX in there. Get them all together, man. That's what it, <laughs> that's what it's all about right now. I like the idea that we need to get Vanny Sartini and Bruce Boudreaux to meet. <laughs> From Tavi, um, <laughs> I, I'm into that. Mike Fuda is another name you're going to hear for sure. Uh, you know, tremendous track record of success down in L.A. Um, been out of the game for a little bit, but is working for the Hurricanes. Uh, that's an interesting organization. And look, I saw our friends at Play Now Sports priced out Eric yes. Tolsky as having that. pretty good odds. Um, incredible. Not, not sure about that. Why? I don't know. Tol it surprised me a little bit. Tolski's a thoroughbred. Oh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't hate the hire. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I it, would be surprised. It's not where I, I would, would be putting my money. Um, me too. Yes, but, but but I mean, if you want if you want to hire one of the smartest people in the industry, Eric Tolski is completely as, agree. As, as bright as they come. Um, and you know, don't sleep either on his assistant general manager colleague in Columbus, Darren York, um, who you know really oversees the amateur side there. Uh, that's the best drafting team in the last five years. 
Like, not really close. Go look at that prospect system. It's loaded. They're going to load up at the deadline and, and not trade a single pick to do so because that's Carolina's style. Um, truly, truly, uh, there's a ton of talent. A, a ton of talent in the org. You know what? There's a ton of talent in hockey, but I do think they need to look at different types of candidates like McFarlane, Josh Flynn. Like, those are the guys as opposed to... Those are the guys that I think would pay real dividends or, or would bring the type of uh, ingenuity, like horsepower, brain power, yeah. to this organization that they need as opposed to going and um, grabbing the guys that, you know, played 900 games. Like, at this point, I just think that the NHL is so complicated. You need hockey expertise, and I don't want to diminish that. But in terms of, you know, a top decision maker, a top executive, I, I think the skill set is more different now than it ever has been in this sport. And you can complement, even if the guy doesn't have, as you say, 900 games of NHL experience, you can complement that person with other people in the front office, right? Totally. By, by adding that experience and that knowledge in different roles elsewhere in the front office. And the one thing I will say as well, and I, and I know I've said this, but as you, you made the point with Bruce Boudreaux not having ties to anything that's happened in the past in this organization. And obviously, you know, if you dig dig way back into a, a Canucks player who hasn't been in this organization for, you know, 15, 20 years, they're not exactly tied to the current situation either. But I do think there's something to be said for just a fresh set of eyes. And I get it, the desire to have somebody who's familiar with the media market, who knows how Vancouver operates, that makes sense to a degree. But let's just get, let's get some new perspectives. Let's get some new voices. I'm not opposed to certain people from the past necessarily, but I also think cast a wide net. It doesn't have to be someone who's worked in Vancouver, right? It, you're allowed to choose someone new, and if the best candidate has never, ever had any ties of a Canucks organization, then so be it. I think that's ultimately I, I think the direction to go. I think you're dead on. I think you're absolutely dead on. And, you know, a lot of the – I mean, yeah, no, you're right. The, the At the end of the day, you don't want to fall into the – Edmonton Oilers heroes of hockey yes. trap, right? Of just considering people with who who wore the sweater, like and and look, I th I think you also increasingly need to look at like in pro sports across the board, hockey's sort of the last one where all the top executives played, yeah, or had dads that played, yeah, right. I mean, there's a few exceptions, like there's a few exceptions um, of guys who didn't quite play in the NHL but still played high level hockey. Uh, a lot of the best executives <laughs> match that description. Um, I think you need hockey expertise, and I don't want to diminish that, but I do think, I do think change is eventually going to come because it's just so complicated to win in a hard cap league. You do need different types of experience these days, especially in a, a contemporary business world. And and I honestly think those are candidates that you know I, I hope to see the Canucks seriously consider. Um, you know, regardless too, not just of NHL playing experience, but um, you know I think there's some qualified women. Uh, yes. I think there's a ton of people that could do a really good job, and, and you'd hope that the club, in casting a wide net, looks beyond a hockey DB page. We will be back tomorrow to continue that discussion, plus looking ahead to the team's game, against, game tomorrow against Boston here at Rogers Arena. Don't forget you can find our show on demand in podcast form, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, like us, subscribe, leave a review, five stars only. It makes a big difference. We will be back tomorrow. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.